Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Oh, those beautiful harmonies do speak the truth. We do indeed talk about songs. Thank you to our theme song writer performers, Laura Barger and Jack Baldelli. Baldelli, I am your co-host, Mark Blankenship, here at Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs. And with me is your other co-host, Sarah D. Bunting. Hello. Sarah, you brought us what initially was just the one song. And then, as is so often the case here at Mastas, that good idea gave birth to more ideas, like little like little mogwai giving birth to other mogwais. Only when you get them wet, they turn into more conversations instead of gremlins. Point being, tell us how we got here today. And in fact, actually, just tell us what it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are doing a sort of Venn diagram of George Michael, Elton John, and George Michael and Elton John. Uh, I'm going to need you to refresh me on what song I originally was going to talk about, because I am not actually sure how we got here, except that in an upcoming single, we will be discussing a few documentaries that uh, we have watched lately on the subject of music and pop musicians, including one about George Michael that he was producing before his death. You can hear that if you are a Patreon subscriber. Visit our page, patreon.com slash mastass. Um... So that, I think, put it in my head before I even saw the documentary. But Mark, what is your memory of how we got here today? Okay, now this may be wholly apocryphal, but as I remember, we were talking about the George and Elton duet, and then you were saying, oh, and there's going to be this documentary, and then we thought, well, hell, we should do George and Michael together, and then do uh, George and Elton together, and then do George separate and Elton separate, and do a, a three-pack. I think that's right. Another way that I we could just choose to remember it is that Barbara Streisand emailed us and told us that this is what she would wanted because she's our biggest fan. Hey, Barbara! <laughs> that, yes, La Streisand could very well have done that. Uh, but we're actually going to begin with the selection that you are bringing to the table, which is George Michael's Waiting for That Day. Tell us why we're listening to that song. Okay, so listeners who have been with us a long time might remember last year when we did an episode on George Michael's song Freedom 90 and I love that song our good friend Tara Ariano was a guest with us on that episode and that song was a huge hit and has continued to be well known and Sarah you might actually be super excited to know that the heretofore unavailable unplugged performance of that song is now available to you ah they just re-released the album Listen Without Prejudice Volume 1 in a 25th anniversary or whatever, 27th anniversary edition, and they included his entire Unplugged episode as part of the re-release. So you can get that amazing live Freedom 90 now. Nice. But I wanted to talk about this George Michael song, Waiting for That Day, because it was released as a single, but not nearly as big a hit. But to me, it is just... Such a beautiful, great song, and I think that it deserves some of our attention. So let's roll that clip.
I love this song for so many reasons. This first verse is such a beautifully written verse about not being able to let go of the memory of someone that you care about. The second verse then expands the notion of your memory serving you far too well to let you move on to be about the move into the 90s, which was new when the 90s were new when this song came out. And it's uh, about how we can't just say the magic number of a new decade and forget all of the troubles that we've just come through and the world in the 80s at the time. But come on, that still holds true. I think that his vocal on this is just beautiful. It's a reminder that George Michael along with being a wonderful songwriter, is just one of the great male vocalists of pop music history. And I just think there's also such a lovely ache and vulnerability in this song that still affects me to this day. So, Sarah, did you know this song before? And if so, what do you think? Um, Or either way, what do you think? I did not know this song before. Um, But I I know these feelings exactly. Um, Mm. That... And his voice never sounded better than on this song. And it's a—it's uh, like this, um, this is his uh, trademark, uh, emotionally, uh, I would say, vocally and emotionally, is this like rueful um, mm. and frustrated and defiant and defeated. Sometimes all of those mm. things in the same note which is not easy to do and still have it be like a pleasant listening experience. But there is like that, that tangy sadness. I mean, it's a beautiful song and sort of a prototypical, like late eighties take on a like sixties classic soul sound a little bit, I think, but it's also uh, very obviously his and, um, I think I think you could argue that George Michael died of a broken heart and I think that this song would be excellent evidence to that to that case. Um Oh my god. For yes. for good or bad. Um but I have this um very like strangely needy relationship with Freddie Mercury. Which is to say, I wouldn't say I'm even like a Queen super fan, although I love Queen, but my sense that the world is still a noticeably lesser place with this Freddy-shaped hole in it mm. um, it is very strong. And every time I see him, it's almost like seeing the Twin Towers was for me for a while, that it was like, oh, that, like there he is. In in mm. this in this universe, he's still he's still here. And George Michael, I feel the same way. And particularly watching this documentary, which again we'll be talking about more in the single, uh, I felt I felt like personally bereft. And this song encapsulates also my feelings of like not being able to decorate around that George Michael shaped hole in all of our lives because he died of a broken heart. And if you watch this documentary, which you should, it was on Showtime. It's excellent. Um, You really get that. You really get that sense of uh, perhaps the world being too much for him and for his heart. And some of the people who are interviewed say not in those words, but would seem to agree. You have really put your finger on it because I 
have always enjoyed George Michael's music, but there's something about my experience of his music after his death that has made me feel bereft too. And I, more than perhaps anyone ever before, and I'm not joking, like he has now become the pop star who I feel like is substituting for me in a way, like this very sensitive gay man who tried so hard to just come out and be himself and succeeded so much, but then at the same time was hurt so much. And even though I have hardly led the same life trajectory as George Michael, there's just, I feel like as a gay man who was coming of age at roughly the same time that he was, there is that, I, I understand what at least I put onto him, which is the emotional arc of, I just want to be myself and I have so much talent and so much passion and yet it is so hard and his refusal to stop feeling, even though things are getting harder, it just, it, it, it hurts because I feel like the perception I have of him, especially based on this movie, is that he was just such a nice guy and the world just kind of sucked. <laughs> and like, he just got caught in, in some things and still, despite all of that, never became less than a nice guy and never became less than really brilliant. And I think that he was able to channel so much of his soul into his music that I feel like there's just something so raw and aching about it. And God, even in the happy songs, you can hear it. Because if you really listen, even his happy songs are kind of tortured. And uh, But in a song like this especially. And I want to add, too, that you are so right on to talk about the references to 60s music. And this song has a really interesting collection of references. Uh, at the very end of the song, he starts singing You Can't Always Get What You Want, which is a Rolling Stone song that, spoiler, we may or may not be talking about in a future episode. And he actually uses some of the arrangement and chord structure of You Can't Always Get you What You Want in this song. And Sarah, I just learned in preparing for this episode the beat that you hear is a slowed-down version of the intro to a James Brown song called Funky Drummer, which I learned is one of the most sampled drum loops in pop music. You can also hear it in Freedom 90. You can hear it in Sinead O'Connor's I Am Stretched on Your Grave. And if you oh, go back and listen to that this... that is a great drum to, loop in that song. Yeah, and if you listen to Waiting for That Day knowing it's the same drum loop, you totally hear it. It's like eerily exactly the same. And uh, it's in Jump by Criss Cross. I mean, it's in so many songs. So this song to me is another way of looking at George Michael's incredible gifts because he was able to take a Rolling Stone song, a James Brown song, push them together into something that feels utterly new and not derivative. So big ups. And I also think it's great that you brought up Freddie Mercury because George Michael, Freddie Mercury, Elton John, three titans of pop music from the 70s, 80s, and early 90s, all gay, and they're all connected to each other. George Michael obviously sang at the Queen tribute, did that cover of Somebody to Love that became a hit on its own. Obviously, George and Elton did a duet. So there's something about all of these incredibly talented gay men who fought through and suffered through how hard it was to be a gay man, but they left behind this art and seem and also well, Elton John is not dead. He's the survivor of the three, obviously. Yes, but as they, of this writing, they made these contributions. <laughs> as of this recording. Yes, I mean God. Stick with us, Elton. Sir Elton but is it, I just like thinking here. about the three of them. 
So, Sarah, I feel like perhaps now we should transition to the Elton song that you chose. Sure. Um, I went with Someone Saved My Life Tonight, um, which I just, something about this song has always spoken to me. Um, When I put on a very far off-Broadway play that I wrote in 2004, it was so far off-Broadway, it was practically on a, like, ferry in the middle of the river. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it went pretty well. Um, you can find them on my uh, website, tomatonation.com. They were called the famous ghost monologues. And after the last monologue, uh, I had my brother, the sound guy, cue up Someone Save My Life Tonight, which just seemed like a perfect thing to put at the end. And there's something amazing about that piano role that begins the song but let's listen to a clip and then i will talk a little bit more about um this sort of in the context of elton's songwriting in my opinion song to me i mean there are a lot of things about it that shouldn't work first of all um butterflies in a lyric dicey um six (laughs) minutes plus dicey and yet Mm -hmm. there is something about there's this kind of like at the end and in the clip we just heard it's more of a like call and response um and more joyous, but it's that joy of waking up from that dream. My version of this dream is um, that I'm in a part of my own house that I didn't know existed, and all the furniture is covered with white sheets, and I don't know how to get back to, like, the main part of the house. It's always extremely real. And there is that feeling of relief of waking up in, like, crammed into one-tenth of the bed because your husband sleeps like the Sun King and you have a bunch of cats. Maybe. This happened to a friend. (laughs) And that joy of relief that it's like, here I am. Here. I know where I am and I know this person and I'm going to hug this person and hug this feline. And that joyous relief especially it's like the feeling of an extremely long night possibly spent in an emergency room coming into a like warm square of light in the kitchen from the snow uh and it it really captures that like exhausted relief of i don't know some act of kindness or grace occurring that you didn't expect um and 
I love a lot of Elton's songs, but he's usually, I'm not sure this is what he intended. And this is much more sort of like a uh, visceral sketch that I get from this song. Usually he's a little more, not literal, or like I don't mean it in an on-the-nose way, but usually the story is a little more, um, I don't know, like textual versus subtext. So I enjoy that about it. Elton isn't always vulnerable either, and I feel like he is in this song. And as a sort of reflection, like if we were doing each George Michael and Elton John, I thought that this was an interesting... um, not counterweight, but it sort of reflected off the other songs in an interesting way because he has been around forever and been through a bunch of personae and uh, now is sort of like a, you know, grand old man of pop music. But this kind of thing is why, that he can capture that kind of feeling in a in a sketch. I mean, if you can call a six-minute-plus song a sketch. Anyway, I don't know if I'm making any sense. Mark. <laughs> Use verbs. Makes sense. Go. Well, the one thing that I think you're exactly right about is the vulnerability here. Because this is Elton John who was saying that the bitch is back and Saturday night's all right for fighting. Right in that period when he was at his most flamboyant and most uh, cheekily aggressive. But then he releases this song and you feel the stakes in it. I almost feel like to me... Despite the fact that he released tons of songs that were like 12 minutes long in the 70s, like I feel like the song Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, you could actually traverse the entire Yellow Brick Road, the amount of time it takes to listen and to that build song. It as well. Tiny Dancer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Tiny Dancer is nothing, there's nothing tiny about her. I mean, Elton needed to go ahead and settle in. But on this song, <laughs> I've always. I've always felt like there was something the, the about pack the pack of lunch album. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, exactly. Like how many discs? Eight discs? Sure. Great. Okay, great. E- even Island Girl is like nine and a half <laughs> minutes long. Awesome. Great. Yeah. Um, but on this song, there's. I've always felt like there was something about the length of this song that was connected to the fact that it wasn't until. It, it's like he. There's something about the emotion of the song that, like, once it starts coming out, you can't stop it because you're acknowledging that you've that you're free. And I know that historically speaking, this song is supposedly about his being almost married to a woman and his gay male friends telling him, don't fucking do this to yourself or to her. And then he, cause they found him being suicidally depressed and he was threatening to kill himself. And then he didn't on the advice and help of his two gay male friends. And you know, that's huge. And to write a song about it, that is somehow oblique, but if that's the narrative you're looking for, quite clear, is to me incredibly powerful. And it takes a while to just get all that out. And I do think that there is a sense of freedom in finally saying it. And then at the very end, it just he just keeps repeating and repeating the the chorus and the title. And then the, the, the sound of his voice gets bigger and higher. And again, going back to the way that I connect, this, this song also speaks to, I think, almost any gay person in the world where you think about the people who helped you decide to really be yourself, even though the temptation to fake it as a heterosexual person was so strong. Because it almost sometimes feels easier to fake it 
because so many people are telling you that's what you're supposed to be, even in 2017. But then there's always that moment you find someone who awakens in yourself your willingness to take a chance on yourself. And it does feel like those people are saving your life, even if it's the smallest thing that they do. You just have to get someone to throw you a rope to pull you out of the possibility of living a lie. And this song to me just completely encapsulates that. And very personally, I understand, and maybe not everyone would feel that way, but I love this song for that reason. And I feel like sonically it is about the rush and the relief of finally deciding to live. It also reminded me, and this is one of the first notes, because it was weird for me to like sit down and listen to this song in the way that I listen for this podcast versus just having it on in my life. Mm -hmm. I probably hear it once every couple weeks. tends to come up on shuffle. Um, I wrote the If One Person Smiles at Me guy, which... I don't know if you have seen this documentary called The Bridge. It was rather controversial no. when it came out. It was footage of people jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge. They set up a camera. Oh, I have heard. Wait, I have heard yeah. this. Yes. Um, this is also reviewed on TomatoNation.com. One of the people who they saw, and whatever, not to get into the controversy, which I believe was you can't just film this and not do anything. And the filmmakers were like, oh, no, no, no. When someone climbs over the railing, we call 911 immediately. Like, they, they had this famous story of a guy who left a note in his apartment before he went to jump off the bridge, which he did, and he perished, that said, if one person smiles at me on the way, I won't do it. So if you're reading this, no one smiled at me. Like, no one made eye contact. And it just made me think of that, that the many, many moments that especially in here in 2017 it feels like just a graceless country and life and world that there are no mm. moments of like compassion is at a low ebb but that humanity like the definition of humanity isn't just that we're imperfect versus deity it's that we're humans to each other and there's something about this song that reminded me of that moment and just of how important it is to give everyone a minute sometimes. I, like, just right now in human history, it just feels like uh, not not enough people are saving each other's lives tonight, if, if you know what I mean. So be good to well, each other. Know, also, that makes me think about... It's so beautifully said, and it makes me think about how interesting it is that we've put these two songs in this order, because Waiting for That Day is a song where he's waiting for the day that he can feel like there is someone in the world who will help absolve or ameliorate the heartache of being out of love and out of touch with society, right? Like, verse one is about, I'm no longer in love. Verse two is, I don't love yeah. the culture. And then this Elton John song is almost now structurally in the way this episode is working saying okay yes so hard we can do it and it makes me the the final verse of the elton john song i would have waited i would have walked head on into the deep end of the river clinging to your stocks and bonds paying your hp demands forever hp demands basically meaning layaway fees right i would have gone into this um 
forever with you, but yeah, someone saved my to life drown. tonight. And like, you know, what what must that be like? Yeah. Like imagine that, you know, imagine that you feel the only relief from pain is to end is to end everything. So and it honestly, obviously there are many people in the world for whom a small act of kindness is not going to completely eradicate the problems that are driving them to suicidal thoughts. But at the same time, there are many people in the world who would be deeply affected if if someone were just kind to them. And I feel like one thing that we can forget about, especially in the increasingly fractious time that we're in, like you said, where it seems like everyone seems to believe that their job is to be indignantly angry at everyone else all the time, right? It, it really has started to feel that way. Like everyone is proud of or defensive about their anger and their anger is their thing that defines them and makes them powerful. So it actually can be very wonderful for us to remember that in the midst of all of that, we actually also have the power to just be nice and these just being nice to someone and just letting some things drop for a minute and just being nice can be massively powerful. And these two brilliant men are singing these songs that are so articulate about the ache that they're feeling and reminding us that just a little bit of kindness can save your life. And I know how trite that sounds. I know how stitched on a pillow that sounds. But there's a damn reason we've been laying our heads on these pillows for so long because sometimes the cross-stitching is true. Yeah, it's true. Cliches exist for a reason. Um, shall we move on to the, what I'm sure everyone guessed, is our third clip? Um, because everything kind of, you know, weaves itself together after you hear this one. We might... Yes, this is... No, so, go ahead. Uh, not to give too much away, this is the 1992 live recording of Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me by George Michael featuring Elton John, and this is the song, the version of the song that hit number one in early 1992. It was the last number one song for George Michael and the penultimate number one song for Elton John. All right. Let's give it a listen. Did we did we go to church? 
because I know it's we're recording this on a Sunday. I feel like possibly. Uh, yeah, I'm I sorry. I can hear you over the sound of my own arms still waving in the air. <laughs> Seriously, I didn't even. I don't even smoke, but I have five lighters <laughs> and they're all waving in the air right now. Oh boy. Um, I'm not really sure where to start. Uh, I think. I mean, let me start with some. You know. We were just talking about being kind to each other, and this is not maybe the kindest to a knight of the Empire. But um, the the issue I have with this recording, I love that it exists, but I often prefer the Just Elton version. I mean, I love the, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Elton John, but then I want to, like, switch Mr. over Elton yes. to Elton John because he is not in great voice and compared to George Michael it's just a little bit unfortunate like he I mean he sounds a little like the voice degrades over time like Sting yeah Sting Unless you're Dolly can't Parton. hit those notes anymore McCartney can't hit those notes anymore that like that's okay but this is in its original incarnation quite a plaintive song uh, Elton sounds a bit angry on this verse, which I don't think is inappropriate to it, frankly. But then when George Michael comes in, it's like just a sort of next level vocal. And it's a little mm. bit too mm-hmm. bad for Elton, who I don't know if he wrote this song, but originated it, let's say. He that did, yes. It's like, here's and me, he and this is a well. hall, you know, this is a one I play at all the concerts. And then George Michael just comes in and basically takes it out of his hands and is like, and now it's mine. Which, you know, good for you, <laughs> um, I guess. But there is something about these men singing to each other and past each other with these lyrics. Um, and also this sense that uh, Elton John had no intention of letting the sun go down on him ever at any time. Um but George Michael was perhaps more in need of, like, reaching out a hand into space and having someone take it. Um, that mm-hmm. while orally, it's it's maybe not what you hope from the partnership. Like, emotionally, it's... Well, I, I don't know. I used to find it... Um, I used to find, uh, I don't know what the word is, not satisfying, but it seemed like the obvious end of a, a side road for each of them. And before George Michael mm. passed away, now it just goes back into what I was saying before about feeling like personally grieved by his passing. So I don't know what you think or if your feelings about this song have evolved over time. Well, I would like to start by taking us all the way back to 1992, when then-13-year-old Mark dutifully bought the cassette single (laughs) for this song. And I remember very clearly that the cover of the cassette single, there was no picture on it. It was like black background with white lettering at the top that said George Michael, white white background with black lettering at the bottom that said Elton John. And I never... It's like... I. I had such a strange relationship to this particular song because I listened to it a lot, but never quite learned the words. It's like I could never focus on this song somehow, but I would always only be able to really sing along to ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Elton John. <laughs> and partially That's it's because intended. Sir Elton decided that, 
he decided not to enunciate on his verse in this song, which I've, if, like, I had to read the lyrics along with him right now <laughs> to remember that he says, I can't find the right romantic line. Because it sounds like he's saying, I can't find all the rock or something wide. I mean, I, who knows? I can't find piece of rock and piece of twine. <laughs> like, okay, whatever you want. But now that I'm older and I know more about myself and the world and Elton John and George Michael and whatever, I feel like this is what you just said. It's so emotionally satisfying. And Elton John is a little ragged on it, sure. But it it's like there's something so great about it. And I don't know if you did this, but in rewatching the music video, I was also just delighted to see the, the moment when he walks out on stage when George Michael calls him out. I just... That image of him in that like fancy jacket is burned into my mind. So this song is... So much of Elton John's later career has been about re-recording his initial hits in other versions. Like, the last number one single he had in 1997 was the 18th uh, iteration of God. Candle in the Wind for Princess Diana. He's re-recorded... I think he did a version of... Uh, no, I know he did a version of... I guess that's why they call it the blues with Mary J. Blige. So, like, this is definitely an indicator of where he's going in as he sort of enters into the I've written all of my great material, but let's just keep revisiting it, period. But that's okay. And actually, he did release some albums like The Diving Board a few years ago with great new songs, but whatever. The point is, he is happily writing on the coattails of his own legacy here but i am cool with it because like you said it allows us to hear this george michael thing and there's just something really powerful about hearing these two voices together and if freddie mercury and boy george could run out there and do two other harmonies and it was just like all the gay european male pop yeah. stars of and the then period, you get rupaul's right. producer to put some beats on the eight inch remix and i am into it yeah. sold <laughs> yes well, RuPaul and Elton John did do a cover of Don't Go Breaking My Heart, so it, we're, we're closer okay. than we think, I guess. All right, folks. Well, thank you for going on this uh, Venn diagram of, uh, the, I guess, the 90s, the 70s, the 90s, the 60s, and the 80s, and um, broken hearts, I guess. It's like, it's like, yeah, it's kind of a, it's, it's, it's not necessarily a bummer of an end note. It's more like what we are doing right now. I feel what I'm doing right now is thinking, yeah, sometimes songs are wonderful because they acknowledge so beautifully that things hurt. So contemplative <laughs> hurt as I look at the sky and it's gray outside on a Sunday afternoon and it's, and it's raining. Um, yeah, I'm really glad that we talked about this and they don't always have to end with everyone raising a glass and doing devil horns. They can sometimes end with uh, raising a different kind of glass and just And using or each horn to wipe away thinking. a tear on each side of one's face. But in case you really need us to there like, tie a, a rainbow ribbon on it, I will do so. George Michael is in heaven, and there are kittens there. Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs, hosted by Mark Blankenship and Sarah D. Bunting, that's me, and edited by Sarah D. Bunting, that's also me. 
Do you need to talk to Mark and Sarah about song requests, ads, or birthday readings? Here's how. Email us at talkaboutsongs at gmail.com, tweet at us at talksongs, or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash mastass.podcast. And you can become a supporter and producer of this podcast at our Patreon page. That's at patreon.com slash mastass. Thanks for listening. For listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube. You know, when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks, that's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.